All right, David, uh, you want to talk about some uh, investment theses or really theses in general about what is going to happen in the world and, uh, you know, what companies we should uh, start, invest in, do whatever to, to sort of surf that wave. Yeah. <laughs> I like what you did there. I like what you did there. Um, <laughs> well, dude, you named your venture capital firm after like a very common trope in the industry. It's not like... <laughs> <laughs> well, so actually the name, um, we took the name specifically from Greg McAdoo, who I've probably talked about a bunch on the show uh, and his advisor to us was a longtime partner at Sequoia. He, um, among other things, he did Sequoia's investment in Y Combinator. And I think this was at like either the very first startup school that YC did or first or second. Um, he gave a talk. It's online on YouTube. We'll see. I'll, have to, I'll find the link. I'll put it in the show notes uh, where he has this whole analogy fa- about how starting a company is um, uh, is is like, you know, riding a wave as a surfer. And uh, so that's where we that's where we were inspired from. Took our name. It is an excellent, excellent talk. All right, LPs, uh, welcome to the show. We, uh, Dave and I were talking last night about what we wanted to cover today, and I thought it'd be interesting, um, um, you know, David threw out the idea, why don't we talk a little bit about sort of what the process is at PSL? And I was like, yeah, the process is interesting, and I, I think there'll be lots of opportunities to get to that in different LP shows, but I think one of the questions we sort of get a lot is like, how do you come up with the startup ideas? Um, and I think the question that David gets a lot is sort of how do you pick what startup ideas you should invest in and how do you, you know, you'll see oftentimes on a lot of venture firms websites, uh, here's the categories that we invest in or the Mm -hmm. theses that we have. Um, and I think it's interesting for folks that are thinking about starting companies or joining early stage companies, um, to take the lens of like, what do you have to believe to be true that the world is turning into for this new concept to be interesting? And, Mm uh, um, we're going to spend some time on the show today kind of discussing and really BSing about uh, uh, things we think that 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 could become true, waves we think we're in the middle of now, um, and then uh, maybe a more meta conversation about all that. Great. Is, is all that true, David? <laughs> <laughs> is all that true? Yes, of course that's true. Um, actually, and, and probably later in the episode, per usual, we'll get into, you know, meta stuff here. But, um, you know, I think it's so important as an investor and really as a like founder and employee at startups too, to, you know, you gotta, you can't just be focused on opportunities as they present themselves to you. You have to also have theses that you're pursuing. Um, and like the best investors, the best VCs do both of those things. Like, um, and, uh, I think so do, so do the best founders and operators. Yeah. And even at a more meta level in life, it feels like one of these things, it's been my New Year's resolution for like four or five years now, um, be more intentional and less reactive. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if left unchecked, you wake up every morning, you see what's in all your feeds, be it email or social media, and then like and <laughs> what ended up on your calendar. And then you just like go and yep. robotically uh, let that that steer you and it's sort of like uh you know getting in a in a river with no motor and you're just like sweet like the currents will just land me somewhere um and you know of course that's going to land it where uh it's probably not the optimal place for for you to land and so with a little bit more um 
you know, forethought about like, what would success look like? What do I actually want to do? Um, I think, uh, we all have a little bit more control than, than we think. Actually, there's an LP whose grandmother I'm, I'm ripping off, um, when I say the, uh, that we all have more, um, more control over our lives than we think. <laughs> I love it. This is, <laughs> man, the LP show has taken us deeper than we ever would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, uh, suddenly very existential. Yeah. Well, listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a new sponsor here on ACQ2, Quarter. Their new product, Quarter Pro, launched about a year ago and is already adopted by several Fortune 500 companies and some of the world's largest hedge funds and equity research departments. Yeah, this research platform is transforming the way qualitative public market research is conducted. Here's how Quarter Pro works. You can get every piece of first-party information from public companies all in one single place. That's live earnings calls with real-time transcripts, company filings, slide decks, and more. Quarter Pro has built a world-class user interface for this. Yep. Let's say you're an investor or a podcaster, and you've got the use case where you need to look up a company such as Novo Nordisk, Hermes, or Visa. You can open their platform and search Guidance or Market Outlook. Quarter Pro then immediately identifies all instances where a company has historically mentioned and discussed these topics in all of their IR-related communications. Or here's another pretty crazy thing they've done that's difficult to get anywhere else. You can actually search through literally every individual slide in Quarter's database, covering 9,000 public companies and millions of slides for any keyword mentioned based on Quarter's AI capabilities. This truly makes it easier than ever to conduct qualitative analysis of entire industry value chains and specific companies. So whether you're an equity research analyst, an asset manager, or an investor relations professional, this platform will help you increase your productivity through their live call, transcript components, AI-powered summaries, and a feature along you to visualize the entire timeline and changes of specific slides throughout quarters. Quarter also offers their database as an API solution. This enables other companies such as trading and research platforms, as well as AI and LLM companies to build custom solutions and integrate this database into their offerings or add functionality on top of the data. Yep. To find out why leading companies globally are choosing Quarter Pro in their day-to-day work and to experience the platform firsthand, request a personal demo by visiting quarter.com slash acquired. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E, Q-U-A-R-T-R.com slash acquired. Or click the link in the show notes to get the personal demo from the Quarter team. Our thanks to Quarter. Uh, great. Well, should we should we jump in and talk about a few of our kind of personal um, theses and lenses that we, we view the world? Yeah, yeah. And I've got one that I want to throw out as sort of a, a question. I have some, some opinions on it, but... Um, um, is the era of the app just completely dead? Like I, I've talked about this in other episodes before, but people don't download apps anymore. Like you just don't download mm. new apps that become a, a stable, a stable, a staple of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are ways in which I'm wrong here. And there, there are counterexamples, of course, but like, TikTok. I'm just remembering back. Yeah. I'm just remembering back to like, the opportunity that I had when I was 21 and shipped a, or 20 or something and shipped an app to the app store and it was getting millions of downloads. Yeah. And like, it was, you know, it was this like 
anybody who writes code can produce something of value and the mobile adoption is growing so quickly and the players aren't set yet that, you know, we use the term wild west a lot, but like you really could just have a land grab opportunity there and and you could find success if you were able to provide value. And now it's just, it feels like all the chess pieces are in place and it's so hard to, you know, shoot any of the gaps and that you require some incredible flanking that, um, you know, you need to figure out how to attack someone from the side or do something they haven't thought of. Um, like, do you see any sort of consumer app being successful or are we in this era now where the platforms are set and like you, you got to figure something else out? Interesting. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's, uh, certainly lots of people have talked about this. I think you're, you know, everything you're saying is probably at least directionally correct. Um, it reminds me a lot though of like Mark Andreessen talks a lot about if you go read, um, you know, some of the books written about him and Netscape and just read his writings and interviews, um, how, when he showed out, showed up, um, in the Valley, he was, he was, um, he was undergrad CS at Illinois Urbana-Champaign, right. And, uh, and that he showed up in Silicon Valley, um, he started working on mosaic while he was in college. That's right. And then came out, showed up in Silicon Valley to start, turn that into Netscape. Um, he felt like he'd missed everything. Like, you know, the platforms were already set. The door was already shut. You know, it was like, oh man, the people who got here like five years before me, they were the real pioneers. Um, I feel like kind of one of the beauties about tech in Silicon Valley is that like everybody like all of these things are true. You both look back and you're like, Oh man, a couple of years ago, the wild west days, of the app store, those were the real gold rush days. But like there is another wave coming, you know, to use the wave analogy again, that like, yeah, you may not see it yet, but like, it's probably already here. Right. Right. And I think, yeah, that's, that's that interesting question is at what point, so sort of canonically, there's been three sort of major technology waves in the last several decades. There was the PC, which created a trillion dollars of, of value in the ecosystem. There was the, the internet that created a, tr- a trillion dollars of value in the ecosystem. And then there was mobile, same, mm-hmm. same sort of thing. Um, and like, if you look at how much money has Apple paid out to app developers now, it's in the like hundreds of billions, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, it's... I've lost track, but yeah, many, many, many billions. Yeah. So we're, cause I those feel like, three aren't are, they at are, like a, they're like at a more than $10 billion annual revenue run rate to them from their 30% cut. So yeah, so yeah it's a lot. Be. Yeah. So at what point, uh, this is kind of an interesting research project. At what point did sort of like the belief and certainty that mobile was the third wave start showing up? Because surely it wasn't Mm -hmm. 2007 when the iPhone launched or 2008 when the app store launched. It was some number of years into that. Actually, you know, I think it was, well, my lens on, or my frame on this was, um, it was when I started in VC, uh, end of fall 2010, I started at madrona as an associate i remember people just starting to talk about then like yeah mobile like and there was all this debate like (laughs) when you were building a product should you build mobile you know in addition to desktop do desktop only or should you do mobile first and then desktop (laughs) and then just over the you know next couple years it became mobile only and then like why is this even a question anymore you know right yeah it's funny like i 
yeah, so that, that this really begs the question of, uh, so I think, you know, the, the mobile landscape is settled. I guess what I was getting to with all this is, uh, if you believe that you're going to build a better app uh, and just get better penetration um, than than some existing app, it has to have something meaningfully different, like a real world component to it, or you know, mm-hmm. actually that's that's probably the best thing I can think of is some real world component. Um, so, if there's no land grab opportunity on mobile, what is the next paradigm? Is I think the thing that everyone's asking, and you know, you you definitely, I'm sure we have listeners that are saying it's totally crypto, um, or like it's totally blockchain, and you know that we just had the the first crash of the hype cycle, and now we're going to start building real slow value. Um, people believe the same thing about VR, AR. Uh, you know, I I think I'm I'm. Uh, I have moderate confidence in VR, AR, low confidence, confidence in the blockchain. Um, but I still, I don't, I feel like we're in a lull right now where we haven't, mm-hmm. we're at the end of a cycle, but we haven't yet seen the emergence of the next cycle yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think again, that that's probably directionally correct. And, um, you know, the, certainly there are breakthrough apps and consumer apps that haven't like TikTok, but like it's nowhere near, you know, I remember even as recently as a couple of years ago, I would check the app store on my iPhone and iPad every day just to see what was oh, yeah. like, I haven't done that yep. in years, you know? <laughs> I, yeah. In fact, when I was working on office for iPad, I remember like every day making it, eh, let's say every week checking the, all the top charts because yep. I viewed it as my job to understand sort of what new things people were inventing and what new, you know, UX paradigms people were employing. And I just don't, I don't feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's interesting, like, I totally agree. Like I was doing it you know, partly because I was a VC and like looking for a new thing, but even more so just like, that's where the cool stuff was happening. Like I wanted to use new stuff and I'm not doing that. I haven't done that for years. I do think, you know, yeah, crypto, you know, AR and VR, um, one thing that I think is is pretty interesting, and we talked about uh, on um, the prediction show at the holiday special, um, uh, one of our portfolio companies, Steady Health. Like, I, I think actually, like health um, biometric sensors, like um, you know, again, this is another th- one that's been a slow burn for so long. You know, quantified self yeah. and blah blah blah, and IoT, and like, yeah, sure, right, but like quietly like you know a lot of people have an apple watch now you know um and i'm like Mm -hmm. very interested what new you know apps i can get on my watch and what new sensors apple's going to build into it and like um you know and i think we're seeing like every major hardware sort of like remember with the iphone like there was probably five to seven years where every major hardware rev maybe with the exception of the s cycles like they were introducing landmark new hardware stuff that enabled a ton of new apps and i feel like that's kind of where the watch is right now um yeah it's just not paid as much attention to yeah, it is amazing how it's it's like the until the GPS APIs were opened, it would be impossible to have the rideshare revolution, which is now a multi hundred yeah. billion dollar, if not trillion dollar, in in total market cap. That's probably it's probably a multi hundred million dollar um, sea change in the world that wouldn't be possible without yeah. opening of that sort of one API. And like, I mean, I can see it. Like, was was steady. Like, the minute that 
CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, gets added to the Apple Watch, which, you know, all the industry press says they're working on, like who knows when it will happen. But the minute it does, well, the TAM, you know, the addressable portion of the market for steady for for anyone else who's um you know doing interesting things with blood sugar levels you know just grew exponentially yeah it's interesting so maybe like the um the the wave of digital health the way that these things create a lot of value is by being a platform so Mm -hmm. you know all all three of those waves were a platform upon which people could uh, unleash a ton of creativity and um and innovation and i guess the innovation formally de- uh, um, defined as uh, both invention plus a- ability to capitalize on invention. And uh, yeah, it's almost like is wearables the platform upon which uh, this next wave of, of computing will, you know, uh, maybe, maybe a trillion dollars of value of computing will be created. Um, and it's the groundwork has been laid by, you know, tons and tons of Apple watches and AirPods, but they're not yet platforms, meaningful mm-hmm. platforms anyway. Mm-hmm. They're, they're currently just sort of, um, I mean, it's like, it's like the 2007 iPhone, except mm-hmm. we're in a five to eight year version of that one year before the true platformization <laughs> yeah. was, was opened up in a, a, a real meaningful way. Now the counter argument against this too is is exactly that right like the pace of innovation on the hardware side is pretty slow comparatively yeah. um, and and probably the level of you know you could argue of whether it's a chicken and an egg but the level of consumer excitement about it is also much lower um, you know on the other hand like I think it's pretty compelling to be like you mean I can but if I have a family history of heart attacks or, you know, AFib or whatever, and I can buy an Apple watch and then like I can track and monitor that and like not die, you know, <laughs> um, that's right. pretty compelling. Or yeah, like, you know, agree. even, even already, right? Like I use Strava for every run I go on now because it's on, I have a cellular Apple watch and I don't need to bring my phone with me. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is it is to create this just you know the bar is high at a trillion dollars of value like um those are great use cases but you know the these things were waves of computing and and with Mm -hmm. computing like you could you can do everything like you unlock business scenarios of course Mm -hmm. there's health scenarios there's um you know the, the the all the consumer tech stuff like is is wearable technology enough of a platform yep, yep. that it will unlock all these scenarios of like that that computing can enable broadly um it's it's Maybe. not obvious yeah, TBD. to me not yeah. obvious one way or the other um yep totally um so yeah, I, I i i agree with that but what's interesting too is like maybe this is also just a point in um in silicon valley and tech maturation where like there's um like the the tech industry has matured so much like there are still so many great companies being built you know (laughs) um across enterprise and you know and consumer well you can build great companies in a in a mature market you're just building you know they're they're different they're different types of companies yep yep well good point all right so that's one uh what what else is on your list so uh i touched on this a little bit i think in the 2019 predictions but i i want to like take some time for you and i to pick this apart a little bit 
So speaking of wearables, um, I've noticed, and uh, if you are listening to this, you have probably noticed too, uh, the, <laughs> the rise of not only podcasts, but um, uh, if you have AirPods or very convenient headphones or a phone that you're willing to let yammer on at you on your counter while you're doing something around your house or Alexa, or there's like audio everywhere and it's an extremely easy bite-sized chunks now to stop and start like it's more convenient than ever to uh to consume audio content in a way that works for your life and um in an on-demand way so importantly more than just sort of turning the radio on and off and uh reminds me a lot of five-ish years ago when that became true with phones so Mm -hmm. you could get social media updates, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or check your email or whatever, when you had two floors to ride on an elevator. Mm-hmm. And I think broadly, it's sort of the same thing where y- your brain has idle processing capacity and you're filling it with um, whatever you possibly can. So in the elevator scenario, you have your complete attention to give to something so it can be visual um, and you can hold it in your hand. You know, if you're in the bathroom or driving or walking, you don't have the ability to use your eyes. So you use your ears. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, w- what else is going to happen in this world where we're filling every I'm not and I don't want to extol the virtue here. You could mm-hmm. sort of look at the let's say the Hamlet quote from the, the Shakespearean bit of nothing is either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. So um, <laughs> that like, I, I'm not saying this is one thing or another, but I'm saying it is what, what is happening is yep. we're, we're filling every nook and cranny of, of idle time with, um, you know, using our brains uh, and mm-hmm. specifically like processing information. And so I'm curious, like what other opportunities there could be in there if we're going to see more than just sight and sound. Um, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. What is all that? What do you make of this? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, on the, you know, the uh, dark side uh, of that ledger uh, or or, um, uh, argument here is uh, um, Cal Newport, uh, the computer scientist who's, uh, you know, had this concept of deep work. I think he had written a book about it uh, in the last year or two. Um, Anyway, he has a new book coming out. Uh, and he was just on the Ezra Klein show again. Um, and he was talking about this, uh, this very, um, uh, concept of like, yes, we've always been super distracted by our phones. Um, but we've also sort of, sort of reached uh, or always over the last few years, we've reached this point where like, you're always distracted. Even when you think you're doing something like, you know, good for you, like listening to a podcast, like consuming healthy digital <laughs> categories, uh, calories, um, you still have something that is you know asking for your attention and it's super rare in today's world like it's extremely rare rare and fleeting where you know nothing is like asking for your attention you know yeah yeah i mean i wonder the question is will we see a pushback like is the eventual eventuality here not that uh you know we'll find more ways to fill the nooks and crannies, but that there's some sort of overload or we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we're, it's hard to imagine what the actual catalyst for that would be. It feels, it feels a little idealistic. Yeah. It, it does feel like something that, um, you know, super techies are like going to wring their hands about, uh, but most people are going to go on listening to podcasts and like checking Instagram. If you you operate your own email server, like you probably (laughs) think about (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah. That is the Although, Venn you know, diagram. <laughs> people getting off Facebook is becoming more common. Um, I'm not sure that it means that they're 
necessarily always more present, but it does. Yeah. You may be getting off Facebook and just moving to something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I find, uh, uh, well, I don't know if it's correct. I find these arguments very um, compelling. Uh, like, I would like to be more in control of my attention. You know, it's it's very aspirational, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how we started this episode saying that, you know, there's all these benefits to being more intentional and yet... Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, this is another one. Like, uh, so the real question, you know, to, to stop us from devolving into a into a Ezra Klein show episode here, which... You know, you can go listen to his show. He does a better job of this than us. Um, the real question is what, so what to do about it? You know, like what to invest in, what companies to build, what like, you know, right? if this is true about the world, then what, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting kind of thinking about like the Andrew Mason company detour, which takes you on museum tours um, or kind of tours of anything. And it tells you, you know, that, that basically somebody records it while doing that tour and, and then tells you, um, you know, knows exactly where you're going to be and says turn left. And um, it'd be interesting to think about that in a dynamically generated hyper contextual way about the world where sort of as you, as you move throughout it, there's sort of an audio, uh, mm. not necessarily like the building you're walking by yeah, is like the original uh, vision know, for old. Google glass, except <laughs> like, you know, audio, not, not wearing something yeah, that's, on your face. That's interesting. Yeah, like why isn't how come nobody has done AR audio? Like mm-hmm. we all have these AirPods that we wear all the time. Mm-hmm. 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 I wonder if there's something there. Yeah. Could you get enough like I mean your phone is also with you, so you could be getting, you know, the GPS data and everything you need from the phone. And then if yeah, the question is just like dynamically uh generating the audio. Right. Like, why is it that when I, you know, so I came upstairs uh, the hour before this uh, for a meeting that I had completely forgotten about and I'm riding the elevator up and I'm like furiously checking my phone to like see the uh, calendar invite and then click it and then search that person on LinkedIn and then search my email to remember what the context Mm -hmm. was of it being teed up. And like, of course, there have been people over the years that have tried to solve this with like an email digest thing or a push notification thing. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine like if the API surface of the AirPods was opened up more? Yeah. Yeah. as I'm getting that elevator, I just pop my AirPods in. It knows why I'm popping them in. And it's yep. like, your next meeting is with this person who you emailed on this day that, yeah. you know, there's a lot of these things that have been done. Oh, there was a really cool text over um, time that app, could back be Back to the old, uh, the gold rush era of apps. I remember using this in business school. What was it called? LinkedIn bought it. Uh, it was called yeah shoot uh-huh. anyway yeah it would look at your calendar and like 10 minutes before your meeting it would give you a little dossier on the person that uh you were about to go meet um, yep anyway clarity no, no. Uh, company sort of does this uh no, no 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 anyway uh i'm gonna blank on the name it, it was super cool uh but yeah like that would be great like ambiently just like you have your airpods plugged in or whatever you know wireless headphone mm-hmm. of choice you're using um hmm that would be pretty interesting. I guess I guess the wave may be ambient computing. Like you can mm-hmm. think about it as health. You can think about yep, it as. Yep. Uh, I think so Microsoft actually talks about this a fair bit. Of like, even even backstep. It used to be client server. Then it was cloud and edge. And now it's just sort of like computing is happening all around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ambient computing allows for new scenarios where. Um, you know, you weren't smart enough using sort of top-down rules-based stuff to do it before. 
So I wonder if that's uh, if that's how this will eventually end up getting defined as a as a platform or as a wave. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, those were those were a couple. Those were a couple. I've I've got one. I, I've been thinking about this one for a while. Um, and it's interesting. Taking a step back to the conversation we had just before about waves and what's next, I wonder if you could almost. Um, you could almost categorize types of waves into like there are technology waves which are like super clear and and like well defined like uh enabled by a new technology the internet uh browser mobile like enables all this Mm. stuff like there is now this technology then there are also like cultural waves um or economic uh, economic cultural waves too um and i think uh like the a cultural wave probably enabled did more to enable the rise of social than like the internet right the internet had been around for a while like, you, you mean social media yeah so yeah like facebook and hmm. twitter and the like um, oh that's interesting and, to think about what drove that yep now uh like all of a sudden it became okay to post information and pictures about yourself online you know uh i remember growing up like my parents always saying like don't ever you know post anything about yourself online like that's like you know you would never do that um but i think the technology the technology availability drove the early adopters to make that okay before it crossed the chasm like i think you first need technology showing people that it's possible and then you can create social norms around it Mm-hmm. Well, okay, maybe a better example, an economic one. This is also going to get into what my theme is that I've been thinking about for a while now. Uh, Airbnb. Um, there was no real mm-hmm. technology that enabled Airbnb. What enabled Airbnb was the 2008 right. recession. Like uh, the company existed before then, but like it was when the recession mm-hmm. happened, people were underwater on their mortgages. They needed to make more monthly income so they wouldn't lose their homes. That was on the 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 driver on the host side. And then on the guest side, like people didn't have as much disposable income, but of course people still love to travel, like especially if they've been laid off or a job searching or whatever, um, they need to travel cheaper. And so that, those were the forces, those were like economic forces that drove Mm -hmm. Airbnb, um, uh, really in total contrast to like Uber where it was technological forces that like now you could like, there was an API for GPS on your phone. Um, so what I've been thinking about here is, um, I think a massive societal wave probably across all countries in the economy is like the concept of a traditional job is slowly fading. Mm. Um, and it's being replaced by, uh, now there are all sorts of like positive and negative externalities about this. You know, I don't want to opine one way or the other, but I think this is like happening. Um, and it's being replaced by a collection, uh, like either, um, you know, entrepreneurialism writ large, people are becoming, uh, small scale, small business entrepreneurs, uh, either, um, on their own, uh, as solo practitioners of whatever they do or in small companies, they start, um, uh, or uh, like a collection of you know side hustles uh, to to use um, uh, <laughs> a, a lingo term, um, and so I think a really interesting uh, potential like investment or company starting thesis around this is what 
if you believe that, what are tools and platforms you can build to enable and encourage more of this? Um, and I think like Square is such like one of the very, very, very best examples of this. Um, so is Etsy. So is Shopify. Um, you know, so are in some sense, so is Uber. Um, although I would put that uh, in a little bit of a different category. Um, like I'm thinking more like what are the like picks and shovels that and like platforms that can enable mm-hmm. this to happen? Um, so uh, like, uh, I definitely very, very, very strongly believe this about square, like before square, you know, to accept credit card payments, you had like right. the bar was so high, they lowered that bar and that enabled tons of more businesses to get started. Um, Stripe is a really another excellent, excellent example of this on the, you know, purely digital side, right? Like, um, accepting payments online was hard. They made that easy. Then they started Atlas. Like starting a business was hard. They made that easier. You know, like keep lowering the bar to entrepreneurship. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so I I agree anecdotally, uh, and I completely I, I love this notion of sort of like the lo- lowering the bar of of entrepreneurship, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, I I was just pulling up like I had read this Vox Media article. Uh, it's from July of 2018. It says the myth of the job hopping rootless millennial is just that a myth, <laughs> a myth. And yep. it, it points out a lot of really interesting facts and we'll put this in the show notes. And I, to be honest, I need to take another read over it because a lot of the stats are so nuanced that, um, I think you are both right in that being a wave, but also a lot of these trends are, are true. Um, mm-hmm. that the Bureau of labor statistics shows that the share of workers, uh, working under gig style frameworks has actually declined in the past 10 years. Mm, uh, the, the hype about an increasingly dynamic, untethered, independent workforce uh, was just wrong. Less people are doing contingent work with either temp agencies, contract agencies, on-call workers, or as independent contractors who are filing taxes that way. Um, and uh, the average employee, so millennials aren't switching jobs more often that mm. the average employee tenure uh, for people under 35 is 2.8 years, uh, which is pretty much the same as it's been since 2006 and also mm. pretty much the same as it was in 1983. And mm. so like, I interesting. think w- one interesting thing is like, we get a lot of this romanticized notion of like, well, grandpa got his job at the factory and stayed for 60 years or, you know, mm. at his firm and stayed for 60 years. Like, I think... We see a lot of that on TV. We hear some of it yeah. passed down from family stories, but there's definitely true. a, yeah. right, right. And so, uh, you know, you're listening to a podcast where a guy's talking about an article that he hasn't read in eight <laughs> months. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's worth, th- this is a super interesting trend that is something that is uh, widely sort of believed at this point. And of course we should believe it because we continue to see multi-billion dollar companies started on the back of this belief um, and it's working. But I- I'm not sure that it's actually a transition away from uh, people like who would the archetype of people who would go and get a full-time job and stay switching to more sort of dynamic work versus uh, maybe like, I'm not actually sure what it is. Like people who would have dynamic work anyway, um, mm. just using technology platforms to do it now instead of not or something. And, and I think that I, I, I want to do some more thinking about this topic because I think, I think both things are, are true. Yep. Interesting. So, um, um, well, that's been a big one for me. Uh, we already touched on kind of digital health that I've thought about then. Um, and then of course there's, you know, 
at a slightly higher level, there's marketplaces, you know, what wave focuses on. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course I'm a big believer in that. Um, I, I would almost put that as like a higher level than what we're talking about here. Like, um, uh, for wave, like we, and I really believe in the power of the business model for a marketplace, but like that, that can ride lots of different tech waves that can ride, you know, lots of different economic and cultural waves. Um, You know, Uber is a marketplace and Airbnb is a marketplace. And, you know, with the framework we were just talking about, they both came from very different places. Um, I think the interesting thing, and I'm sure you guys have written uh, much a word about this in a a, a perspective and decks to LPs, (laughs) but like the thing that is amazing about the marketplace businesses that we see today and why we see them is that technology has been an incredible accelerant to marketplace efficiency mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things that couldn't be marketplaces in the past because you couldn't achieve marketplace liquidity with the advent of technology where you either can have um, global supply and global demand such as mm-hmm. eBay um, suddenly you can have a marketplace where you, you didn't have enough supply and enough demand who could meet before in order to create that. Or if you're, if you're hyper-localized like Uber, suddenly you can dramatically increase the speed and convenience to the transaction. And so mm-hmm. like on almost every vector, uh, technology enables you to create either new marketplaces or more valuable marketplaces. And sort of as technology continues to get better, I think we'll, we'll only continue to see that sort of like magical moment where the car shows up at your house or, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I, I found the perfect place to stay. Or like the magic of technology in marketplaces is that perfect things sort of can happen and appear in front of you in ways that you never dreamed. Because yep. if you demand something, that supply was always there, but you had no way to efficiently bring it to you. Yep. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, even, uh, maybe to <laughs> wrap all of this up, uh, our investment steady health is just like a perfect example of this, right? Like your endocrinologist with, if with steady, if you are a steady user, uh, and you're a diabetic, your endocrinologist now is an app on your phone that has constant access to your blood sugar levels. Like, and, and it actually is a real endocrinologist on the other you know side of the phone, <laughs> um, too, mm-hmm. but like compare that experience versus like (laughs) the old marketplace for endocrinologists where you got a referral and you went to see them four times a year and they asked you how you were feeling yep yeah it's a great great point um Hmm. cool all right well i have one that i just want to like throw out there that i i've i think is a little shocking that like i've been doing a bunch of research into and i'm really really excited about um flying cars are totally going to happen and they're not that far away and uh, anyone who's interested in this topic, the the space is called uh, eVTOL, Electronic Vertical Takeoff and Landing Vehicles, um, and sort of the leading um, group that's putting research into this and bringing people together is called Uber Elevate or Uber Air, um, mm-hmm. and they've published this awesome white paper that basically lays out like here's the 10 risk factors and here's what different groups in the ecosystem are doing about each one and how we're closer than you think and we're you Hmm. know five six years out from something and if you're interested in this topic uh going to that that uber error uber elevate website um has like just this awesome awesome read i spent kind of my whole christmas break diving into it um and uh, the, the, the broad concept is like, it's not going to be flying cars. It's more like a, um, tiny electric powered airplane meets, uh, 
sort of quadcopter um, mm. or drone and, and has sort of the, uh, the vertical takeoff and landing, but actually is propelled forward by um, wing-borne lift. So you're, it's mm. much more efficient than a, than a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we're totally going to have airport runs by, by these vehicles or sort of hour and a half mm. commutes compressed to 15 minutes. I, I think there's going to be some really cool use cases that emerge for this. And um, it's hard and super capital intensive and it's difficult to get the timing right on investments here. So it's sort of a place to tread really lightly. Um, but I, I do think that it's like one of the most exciting technology frontiers right now. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. What, um, I'll have to go read that. Another thing we'll have to link to in the show notes, but, um, I, the first thing I'm just curious for, like how, how are like, regulations going to evolve with like is like our mm-hmm. government's <laughs> going to allow this to happen like it's probably the most difficult so the the fortunately the faa is a national body so um all of these things will be in faa regulated airspace and so it's a matter of sort of coordinating with you know who owns the airspace that you're in the tricky bit is going to be about getting all the municipalities on board because you know right now in most cities in the US, you're basically not allowed to fly a helicopter no matter what. And then they carve out special exceptions. So like mm-hmm. you're a, you know, a, a, um, a hospital is kind of the, mm-hmm. the main one or occasionally a news or a traffic thing. But like basically you can't do that in cities. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, f- figuring out how to how to make the, the case that it's it's, um, you know, net positive for cities and, and that uh um, they should invest in in allowing this. I, I think we're going to see some guinea pig cities first, and uh, San Francisco is a likely candidate. I think Dallas has been talked about as a potential candidate. I think we'll see a lot of it outside the U.S., uh, Dubai, or or elsewhere. Um, but you know, there's a bunch of these technology waves that sort of combine into making this possible. And one is like better vehicle design. People have been working on this for a while, um, and, and have really put a lot of energy into, into doing it recently. Uh, big one is battery life. It gets like 15% better every year Uh, that may not get us all the way there, but it's, it's certainly gotten us to this point for sort of these, you know, single digit minute trips, um, Material science is dramatically better. Um, we understand how to how to do the physics of uh, uh, of uh, noise dampening a little bit better. Um, well, there's been tremendous leaps forward in, in autonomy. So, like in a world where we, we never would have dreamed of piloted th- piloting these things, you know, your Tesla drives itself on the freeway now. So, actually, it's probably easier for for this thing to drive itself through the air than it is for uh, your Tesla to drive around on the highway. So, mm. th- there's just a lot of like e- each little thing that you bite off is surprisingly not as challenging as as you you would think and so um of course it's still eating an elephant uh, but how do you eat the elephant reminds me of the way uh you know elon musk thought about um uh well that he thought about um you know rockets uh and then together with (laughs) with uh the tesla founders thought about electric cars um yeah yeah interesting Yep, it's a, it's a, a gigantic series of difficult but solvable problems. Um, yeah. Well, there it is. Theses. <laughs> Theses. Um, listeners, let okay, us well, know. I, uh, I, let us know. You know how how you feel about this. If you have particular theses or areas you want us to dive into, um, uh, and also that I think this episode we were intentionally trying to be a little a little less structured and see how that goes, uh, in our continuing experiments on the LP show. So as always, please send your feedback. 
Indeed. Um, thanks so much for being a limited partner and going on the journey with us. Um, we were very excited. We passed a million lifetime downloads of the Acquired yeah. Show uh, uh, earlier this week and, uh, and and launched ESPN and season four. So um, uh, if you like Acquired, tell your friends. Um, and thanks so much for, for coming on the journey. Indeed.